In one way or another, everyone wants to know what God is like. There are people, many people, who spend their lives figuring, trying to figure that out. People don't want to be Christians because they have an image of God. And people do want to be Christians because they have a different image of God. But everyone, in one way or another, is trying to figure out what is God like. And that's one of the reasons why I love reading these first chapters of Genesis. Because among other things, I think Genesis 1 and 2 are giving us a glimpse, an image, into what God is like. It begins by saying, in the beginning, God created everything that is. And what we find is, it says that everything was formless and void. Because there's this blank slate. And so God creates in a way that, that he wants to create. There are, there are no compulsions on him. There are no restrictions on him. There's nothing he has to do to try to work around things. It is simply a blank slate, and God creates exactly as he wants to. And what do we find? We find abundance, generosity, productivity. We find all of these things that that God creates that are an extension of who he is because there is a sense in which what we find in the creation story is really the core essence of the kingdom because it's an essence of who God is. But I also find there that God seems to exhibit a pretty high level of faith. We don't typically think of God having faith. We have faith. But there's something in this story that makes me think that God is exhibiting faith because after he creates all of this, then he creates the human beings and he says, now, I'm going to place you in the middle of all that I've created and I want you to take care of it. That seems like faith to me. And God says, I am entrusting you with this. You are my stewards about all that I have made. And I think that is true, not just about creation, but everything God gives us. All of our gifts, all of his blessings, all of the good things that God puts in our lives, we are stewards of those things. And people have been trying to figure out through the centuries, what does that mean? Now, when you look at these, at the, some of the verses here, you find that God gives the descriptions, our, our words, depending on the translation, Of things like reign, govern, tend, watch over, rule over, subdue, work it, take care of it, have dominion over, till it, keep it, be responsible, take charge, work the ground, keep it in order. All of these things, all the ways, different ways we try to describe this because it's difficult to figure out. And people have taken their interpretation of what it means for human beings to have authority over what God gives them. And they have, they have said, well, it's about whatever I want it to be, and I can do whatever I want with it. There is this authority and responsibility that God gives to his creatures about what he gives them and what it looks like to be stewards. And there's all this discussion about what it's like. It seems to me that it's less complicated than that. It seems to me that what it means to be stewards of what God has given us is to do it the way God would do it. Because after all, God says, the writer says, 
God says, let us make human beings in our own image. In our own image, let us make them. And so God made people in his image. I like the way the, the, the message says this. God created human beings. He created them God-like, reflecting God's nature. What does it mean to be stewards of what God's given us? It means to be image bearers of God. We think the way God thinks. We act the way God acts. Our attitude is God's attitude. I mean, isn't that really what Paul is saying to the Philippians when he says, have this mind in you that was in Christ Jesus. Think like he does. And so what does it mean to be stewards of God? It means that we approach that as image bearers of God. And that means if God creates in a spirit of abundance and generosity, then our stewardship would reflect abundance and generosity. The problem is, we have skewed the whole thing with our sin. And so now, our perspective often tends to be not abundance and generosity, but scarcity and fear. We start thinking, what if I lose it? What if something happens and I don't have this anymore? And what we're really saying is, this is my security. And you can almost hear the whisper of God in our ears saying, oh, really? I thought I was your security. But we become afraid and we, and, and we have this mindset of scarcity about the things that God gives to us. And so instead of being abundantly generous with our arms open, we start thinking of scarcity and hoarding and our arms are tight. And we try to hold on to everything we have with all of our might as if we could really hold on to it. We give it our best shot. And then we wonder, why do I struggle to have joy in my life? Why do I struggle with, with, with not, not feeling freedom in my life? Because fear and joy are not compatible. And scarcity and freedom and generosity and, and freedom are not compatible. Generosity leads to freedom. And this bondage that we have, it, it, it takes it away from us because we're trying to hold on to it instead of just letting it go. The first church we served, a little country church, the, the people came to me after I'd been there a few months. They said, hey, there's this guy that lives out in the country. And I'm thinking, I thought we were in the country. We were 12 miles from anything, you know. They said, no, he's even more out in the country. And they were right. You, you went from a paved road to a gravel road to a dirt road to his house. It was the end of nowhere. And they said, our other pastors always went to visit him. Like, all right, I'll give it a shot. So I went and visited him. And you walk in his house and there's this little pathway and all around it is just stacked stuff. Newspapers from 20, 30, 40 years ago. Little shoppers, little ads from the grocery store from 20, 30, 40 years ago. Everything he had ever gotten in his life, I think, was in that little house. I don't even know what the upstairs looked like. But you barely walked this little trail all the way through it. And as I talked with him, what became so apparent is that this was a Actually, he seemed like a very nice man, but he lived in fear. And so he kept everything. That's what happens to us. That's one of the things that we do not want to be, not only as individuals, but as a church. 
Last year, the stewardship committee was talking about our financial plan and what we were going to do with that, how we were going to present that, and what was it going to be. And we realized that we've been pretty much plateaued for quite a number of years. And as we talked about it, we realized that there was a subtle sense of scarcity that had crept into us corporately. And we don't want that. And so we said, we're taking a leap of faith. We're going to, we're going to present a financial plan that's significantly more than what we've been doing. So we don't know what happened, but we're going to take a leap of faith and we're going to see what happens. And what's astonishing to me, we, got one, we have one month left in our fiscal year. And as of the end of April, we're only $5,000 behind. I think that's significant. And that's in the context of a Christmas Eve offering of over $22,000. Twice as much as we've ever received in a Christmas Eve offering before. And probably... Five or six times more than what we normally do. It's fun to be generous. You know, it's exciting to be generous and to think about God's abundance because what we have is his and he's blessed us. And instead of living as if God is, is scarce with his blessings to us and with his gifts to us, we we think God is gracious and abundant. Because God ultimately wants us to be productive. It astounds me how many words are used throughout these two chapters that describe productivity. If you look, he says, then, um, says, let the land sprout with vegetation. Every seed-bearing plant, the trees that grow seed-bearing fruit, the seeds will then produce Harvest And the land produced vegetation, and the seeds produced plants and trees, each producing offspring of the same kind. And God blessed them, saying, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the seas, and multiply on the earth, and let the earth produce every sort of animal, each producing offspring. And the Lord planted a garden, and he made all sorts of trees grow up from the ground that were beautiful and produced delicious fruit. And he says to the people, Be fruitful, and multiply, and fill the earth. You see how many times that God says to them, Grow, increase, produce. Because the point of God's gifts to us, whether you're talking about creation, relationships, time, talent, treasure, whatever they are, the point of them is productivity. is to invest in something that's bigger than us. To create a kind of legacy that goes on and on and on. But you can't do that if we're hoarding. You can only do that if you live in a spirit of abundant generosity. They're always thinking, how can we give more away How can we do more for others? That's one of the things that we decided if we were going to increase our financial plan, and we've done it again this year, not quite as much as last year, but we've done it again. And most of the increase of that is what we want to do locally around us for other people and for things around the world. It always excites me when I look at our financial plan and 18% of it is given away. And that does include the offerings that we take during the year. I was thinking about the, um, that Egypt project. We were showing the pictures of, the, of them building. And it struck me, there's a little bit of us in those footers. There's a little bit of us in the walls that are going to go up and the ceiling and the floors. There's a little bit of us in the desks and the chairs that they're going to put into the classrooms. There's a little bit of us 
in, in the materials they're going to buy and the books that will stock the library. There's a little bit of us every, there every time pastors gather to be trained and churches gather for retreats. There's a little bit of us in that. That's exciting. And we want to continue that because over the course of the next few years, we want to send people there to be part of the team that trains and teaches and encourages and learns. And to create this this connection that grows and expands beyond anything any one of us could do by ourselves. That's what we do with God's gifts. And it's exciting to see them reproduce It's exciting to see them grow and increase in ways that we probably could have never dreamed by ourselves. That's the kind of people we want to be. That's the kind of church that we want to be because that's what image-bearing stewardship looks like. Because that's what God does. Continually giving, continually reproducing, continually expanding more and more. And that's the joy Image-bearing stewardship is something we do with a little bit of our lives or we pick little compartments that we do that. It's either, you either are fearful or you're generous. You either think about scarcity or abundance. Because it, it gets into us. And some of the most holy, godly people I know are also some of the most generous people I know. Because that's what happens when the Spirit keeps filling us. And ultimately, when you think about the creation story, it seems to me that God's ultimate design, His ultimate purpose is blessing. Three times in in these short verses, it says that God blessed them. He blessed the fish and the birds. He blessed the human beings that he created. And he blessed the Sabbath. And there is this sense in which all of this is moving toward the Sabbath. Toward this time when everything, as John Walton describes it, everything is in balance. Everything is exactly as God intended it to be. Because I'm convinced with him, as he says, that the point of the creation story is not to give us a lesson in history or geography or geology or any of those kinds of things. The point of of it is to reveal who God is is and how he creates and the purpose of it. And that is function. That all of it works right. That all of it is in perfect balance and harmony. It's shalom. That's God's intent because that's the nature of the kingdom. And when you get to Revelation, the end of Revelation, you find that despite all the ways in which we as human beings have skewed that and destroyed that and messed that up, eventually when Jesus ushers in the kingdom, there will be the restoration of all of that and even more. And there will be Sabbath and shalom, there will be balance and peace and righteousness because the kingdom will be exactly as God designed it. And every time we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We're saying, Lord, make us image-bearing stewards who are bringing about that as you equip us, even now. Do it now.
We want to be channels of image-bearing stewardship. We want to be channels of blessing in this world. We don't want to be people who receive your blessings and hoard it. We want to be people who receive your blessings and share it. That you can use to help other people know who you are like you've revealed to us. It comes back to the nature of God. That he's good. And he's abundant. And he's generous. And he's gracious. And his His goal for us, his intent for you and me individually and corporately in the whole world is to experience the fullness of his blessing, his kingdom through Jesus Christ. That brings us to this table. Maybe wondering, what does does stewardship have to do with communion? It's the blessing. Remember when Jesus is with his disciples in the upper room on that last night, the gospel writers tell us that he takes bread and he blesses it. And then he breaks it and he gives it to them. And they eat it. It's almost as if Jesus is reenacting creation in that moment. It's almost as if he is saying... I'm taking this loaf of bread and I'm going to bless it and I'm going to give it to you so you are blessed and you're going to eat it so that you can be a blessing. And in a sense, isn't that the nature of what it means to be a follower of Jesus? I read a preaching book recently that... um, I found interesting, some interesting ideas. A lot of it were things that, well, yeah, I've read all that before. But there were a couple of things that really grabbed my attention. And there were some questions that the author, uh, the author proposed and said, when, you, when you're working on a passage of Scripture, when you're thinking about a sermon, think about asking these questions. And two of them were particularly intriguing to me. One of them was, in this passage, in this sermon, what does the grace of God smell like? I got to tell you, I've never thought of that before. And the other question was, in this passage, in the sermon, what does the love of God sound like? I've not really thought about that either. I've been pondering that this week, related to the creation story and stewardship and communion. And it struck me that perhaps, maybe in this moment, the grace of God smells like fresh bread and crushed grapes. And maybe the love of God sounds like feet walking to the front to hear the words whispered in our ears, this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. This is my blessing. So you can be a blessing. Holy Father, thank you for your wondrous gifts. The gift of creation. The gift of relationships. The gift of time and talent and treasures. All of your gifts, thank you. Thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ. 
Father, we pray your blessing upon the bread and the cup. That as we eat and drink, we will know your blessing. That we might become agents of your blessing. Through the grace of Jesus Christ. Amen.